Welcome to the workshop. The workshop is more than an adult Sunday school. The workshop is a systematic discipleship program for teens and adults, which takes place Sunday morning prior to the service. Our focus is to be building disciples that are grounded in the basic principles of the gospel for spiritual health and for service, and to be equipped to minister broadly to meet spiritual needs around them and to develop and use their particular giftedness for the good of Christ's church. We typically run three 10 to 12 week semesters per year in the fall, winter, and spring. And we look at having some kind of missions project during the summer. If you're interested in finding out more about the workshop, please feel free to contact our administrator at New West Community Church and you can find us on the web at newwestcommunitychurch.com. Thanks very much. Take care. your Bibles. If you don't, turn there anyway. Uh, if you want to turn to your Bibles in Exodus chapter 15. Before we get started, let's uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. Father, we thank you for the week that we've had. If it's been busy, if it's been slow, if it's been frustrating, if it's been joyful, we give you thanks in all things because you are our great heavenly father. And father, I pray that as we just touch on the mountaintop of what it means to understand your holiness, Lord, I pray that you would use this time to ignite our hearts that you would in, 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 in a metaphorical way, begin to really blow our minds about just how pure you really are. Father, help us to help us to live in holiness because you you ask us, you command us to be holy for you are holy. But you never leave us on our own to do that. And I thank you so much for that. Pray that uh, you would guide conversations around the table. Lord, I pray that you would, again, prove yourself true, faithful, mighty, majestic, and the only one in whom we place our hope for our salvation. In Jesus' name, we say thanks. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, if you've turned with me to Exodus chapter 15, I just want to set the tone. This is Moses' song. I'm not going to spend any time exegeting this. I just want to set the, the stage for us this morning. This is Moses' song after the bitter defeat of Pharaoh and his enemies, Moses sings this to the Lord. Who is like you? This is starting in verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. So today's topic is going to be about holiness. So the holiness of God. Charnock says this, that God is so great and majestic that no creature can share with him in his praise. Now, we are talking about communi communicable attributes of God. So in, in a certain sense, we do reflect the holiness of God. We can share in that holiness. In fact, he commands us to in 1 Peter. We may get to that today. So there is the aspect that we can be like him 
in his holiness, but far removed from full knowledge of holiness. Okay. So Charnock says this, no one can truly praise him without being affected with astonishment at his greatness. Right. That's why I'm convinced that in the Psalms, it says that it is good for me to go to the house of the Lord. Right. Cause it just, it sets things in perspective and it, I don't know about you, but for me, it sets priorities back in place. And, and not that there's something more special, but for me on a, on a communion Sunday, there is something more special. And it, it has this deeper effect in my mind and my heart as I prepare to come and celebrate with my brothers and sisters around the Lord's table. If any, if any, this attribute has an excellency above his other attributes. Now, when I first came to this church, I subscribed that his holiness was above all. Paul challenged me on that. I'm still thinking that his holiness is above all, just a little bit. That's my bias. But I like what Charnock says here, right? If any, because we've been talking a lot about how he is full in everything, how there isn't one greater than the other. And mysteriously, they all work together in full perfection. But I do like what Tronic says here, that if any attribute was to be just, just a smidgen above the rest, it would be his holiness in his perspective. And I, and I kind of agree with him. Although there would be a good argument for some of his other ones. A.A. Hodge said this, that the holiness of God is not to be conceived of as one attribute among others. It is rather a general term representing the conception of God's consummate perfection and total glory. It is his infinite moral perfection crowning his infinite intelligence and power. Infinite. Okay, infinite. Thomas Watson, who wrote a lot about the holiness of God, said this, that holiness is the most sparkling jewel of God's crown. It is the name by which he is most known, or by the name of which he is known. So our working definition this morning is this, that God's holiness is not only describing his perfect goodness, meaning his purity, but also that God is the very source and standard of purity. Remember how when we talked about um, in, in, in God's attributes that, that he is independent of all things, but has made everything dependent upon him. Okay, so this is in that same vein of thought that God's holiness is not only describing his perfect goodness, but also that God is the very source and standard of purity. So we some some theologians break down his holiness into two. Two thoughts or, or two separate ideas. The primary one is that God is separate. He is set apart from creation. He is distinctly above it. We've talked about this a few times in our sessions together. He's superior in every way. He is exalted. He's transcendent. He's majestic. And we see that especially in the Old Testament. We see that especially when the, the articles of the tent have been made. And there's a long description given to Moses as to what the Levites were to do with these articles and how they were to prepare the articles for even going into the tent. 
and what they were to do to make sure that those articles were never used for anything else except for the worship of God. Now, you've heard the term sanctification, correct? You've heard that term. Hopefully, you've heard that term. And there's some different sub, there's some different aspects to sanctification. And in a very real sense, when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment we do that, we are set apart. We are sanctified. In essence, that's what sanctification means. In part, we are set apart. We also know as Christians, because we still struggle with our flesh, is that there is a daily progression towards holiness. That's sanctification. We are setting ourselves apart from the world. And if we know our Bibles a little bit, we'll understand that in our previous state of being a non-believer, we didn't have the power or the ability to do that. In fact, it's very clear in Romans and Colossians and Ephesians that we suppress the knowledge of God. We don't want anything to do with God. Colossians says even more strongly, we were enemies of God. Can you imagine that? Enemies of a God, of a being so powerful, so majestic. We don't stand a chance. And then there's that third piece of sanctification that we, we become fully sanctified when we enter into heaven. Fully sanctified. So the process that we're going through here on earth is culminated. And then what a glorious thing that is. Amen. I don't know about you. I'm waiting for that time. <laughs> I mean, I was in Victoria with my wife and I walked 12 kilometers one day. Jesus could have come back right then. Okay. That would have been good. I was happy. I was sore. Right. And kind of hoping Jesus would come back. Cause you know, the knees, the back, you know, it's all good. I love my wife, but every time I look at my phone, I go, we just walked another three kilometers. She'd be like, yeah. And I'd be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? <clears throat> it's all good. So in the primary sense, this is what we're talking about. There's a secondary sense, too, that God is separate from all creation in his moral perfection. He is without moral blemish. He is absolutely morally pure. This is why in scripture we see that God cannot even look upon sin. We can. Some of us probably too much. But he can't even look upon it because he is so morally pure. Now, I know, I don't know about you, but for me, that, that kind of connects when Jesus is on the cross. And he's bearing the sins of the whole world. And God turns his back on Christ. And he feels that. He, he knows that. Okay. Which is, and reminds me too, that when, when we are born again, we are clothed with Christ's righteousness. So that when God looks upon us, he doesn't look upon us in our sinfulness. He looks upon us in Christ's righteousness. Which is amazing. Because we're set apart for him, clothed with his righteousness, and we are growing in our sanctification. We are growing in our holiness. Okay? So there's a secondary aspect to it. So what I'd really like you to do now is at your table, talk about this question. You can, and I'm used to this by now, maybe. 
you can break this question down and answer it any way you want, but this is, I'm, I'm calling these guiding questions from now on. Right. Um, if you want to break down the question, try to figure out what I'm getting at, just put your hand up. I'll come to the table. I'll try and answer your questions that way. So in what way does your knowledge of God's holiness truly impact your heart, mind, attitudes, and actions? This might be a quiet time in the room. <laughs> so in what ways does your knowledge of God's holiness truly impact your heart, mind, attitudes, and actions? And what gets in the way? I'll give you five minutes. Ready? Go. All right. So. In what ways does your knowledge of God's holiness truly impact your heart, mind, attitudes, and actions? And what gets in the way? Anybody want to give a general answer to that? We don't want to give away connections to people so much. Or if you want to answer on your own, that would be great. Yes, Terry. Well, morality is one. Okay. How I'm treating others, how I'm speaking of others, mm -hmm. um, engaging in conversations um, that are negative towards someone like mm. a family member. Right. And what gets in the way is Terry wanting it to be Terry's way in Terry's world. <laughs> and that sounds like a TV show. And I have to say that he is winning. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> because Good. yeah, um, just attitudes and actions, um, morals and boundaries. Right. That's what God's holiness does for me. All right. Well, yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? Our table talked about how uh, when we were sealed with the spirit, that uh, the spirit transforms all of our affections and our desires, mm -hmm. our heart, our mind, uh, all of our actions. Mm -hmm. uh, and what gets in the way of that is our sin, our mm -hmm. sinful nature that's dying away. Um, and uh, we also talked about how sometimes it can be a temptation to just see God as holy and I am not holy and forget that God's holiness is a communicable attribute. Right. Um, that uh, it's, it's something that God is, um, um, yeah, not the right word, but sharing with us that mm -hmm. uh, we are becoming holy as he is holy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good. Thank you, Andrew. I'll take one more. Anybody else? Yeah, just uh, um, it really sets boundaries for me in my life, knowing the holiness of God, boundaries that I know I shouldn't cross. And I'm becoming more and more and more careful not to cross those boundaries. Ah, good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's some um, that's that's great insights. And um if I, if, I, if I run the risk of giving away the thrust of today's sermon, uh, it will be that very thing of God calls us to be holy, but he doesn't leave us alone to do it on our own. We, we can do this paradoxically through the Holy Spirit, right? And I think sometimes we forget that, and sometimes we put too much separation, although it's needed, but sometimes I think we put too much separation, I'll try to explain that, between God and us, meaning that God is so holy and so lofty and so unattainable and who are we but worms to even think about him? There is a sense that, yes, that is true. However, it can paralyze people. And so, yeah, Andrew. Yeah, yeah I think that can be sometimes a bit of a temptation reform circles that we yeah. know about the de depravity of unsaved man. 
but then we forget about the part where like we were renewed in the spirit. Yeah. We think we, we think that, yeah, we forget sometimes that God, we're not depraved anymore. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Very good. Um, I would love us to turn to Leviticus 10, one to three. Leviticus 10, one to three. As you're turning there, let me set the stage, the context. Leviticus 9 and 10, specifically Leviticus 9, is is an account of Aaron offering sacrifices to the Lord and the Lord accepts them. And there's some interesting pieces in here that I want to turn our attention to because they're important. One, because they're in scripture, but two, I think they, they help set up what happens in chapter 10. And so Aaron drew near to the altar. This is chapter nine, verse eight, and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him. And he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. The fat and kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering, he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded. Then he killed the burnt offering. And look at this. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar. And they, meaning his sons, handed the burnt offering to him, Aaron, piece by piece and the head. And he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Again, in verse 18, then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail and that which covers the entrails and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver. They put the fat pieces on the on the breast and he burned the fat pieces on the altar. And we see here in verse 23, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering, the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. That even just gives me goosebumps reading that. But that sets the stage for what happens in chapter 10. And the reason I wanted to do this is because who's helping Aaron in this very important service of worship of God Almighty. It's his sons. Well, they would have been trained what to do. They knew what they were supposed to do. Okay. And here we come to chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. That's a really interesting way to end that section. And Aaron held his peace. Because what the Bible here doesn't report to us, but we can imply it, is that Aaron probably had some words for Moses. My sons who just helped me do all this stuff, they're killed instantly for doing something foolish, like offering fire before you that you didn't want. Lord, his sons were dead. Now, I don't want to put myself in the place of Aaron. But if I was to think a little bit about Aaron, I'd be thinking about what God am I serving? My sons who are training for the, for the, 
for the priesthood. They're, they're training to do this. They do something as, as insignificant and everything else as putting coals in their censers and offering them for the Lord and the Lord takes their life. Like that. And see what Moses says to Aaron. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. Meaning those who are my people, I will be set apart. I will not be treated as an equal. Remember, we talked about sanctification, having these three aspects to it. And sanctified meaning set apart. And how in God is set apart from everything else in his holiness. And then look what he says. Among the people, I will be glorified. So some have looked at this and said, when, he, when God says those who are near me, he's talk, he could be talking about his priestly, uh, the Levites. Those who are near me, those who are supposed to know better, they are the ones who sanctify me, set me apart. Everybody else in the nation, they will glorify me by what they do. And these sons didn't do that, and so I took their life. And that's why I think it says there, Aaron kept his mouth shut. Because he knew what the Lord was saying was right. Because his sons had violated the holiness of God. Very much like Uzzah. Right? You remember Uzzah? What we, and I preached on this. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. But he was trained from a little boy what not to do and what to do. Like his, his family was part of the clan who took care of the, the things inside the tent. They were told never to do certain things. And whatever ever you ever, never, 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 ever do is you touch the ark. Never. And yet in a moment of probably his not wanting the ark to get all muddy and dirty, as it's sliding off the ox cart, he, push, he touches it and God takes his life. And we look at that and we go like, what? But it's because of God's holiness and how we defame that holiness God acts. So they witnessed their dad perform the ritual and they, they suffered God's response. They offer a, they offered unauthorized fire. Now this could mean that they were, they were offering incense before the Lord when they weren't supposed to. Some have indicated that actually his sons were inebriated when they did this. I'm, I'm not going to break that down too much, but it, it kind of answers some questions as to why they might've done this. We're told that the fire consumed them. And among those who are near me, meaning those who are my people who should know better, I will be sanctified. And before all people, I will be glorified. One author that I read said this, it isn't our sins that are small, but our estimation of God. And it fits to what I think Aaron and Moses are talking about. It's not that our sins are small, but it's our estimation of God, meaning our estimation of God is small. Our knowledge of God is small. Our experience of God is small. You often, you may often hear uh, preachers, teachers say that when we have a big view of scripture, it means that we hold scripture as the ultimate authority in our life. When we have a big view of God, it means that we are, we are uh, subscribing to the very nature of who God is and his holiness, his perfection, his aseity, his, his knowledge his etern eternality, all of these things. When we, when we hold God high in our life, the reciprocal of that is we look at our sin and we see it as even more horrendous than what we've had before because we see it in relationship to a most holy God. And for most of us, I think that drives us to our knees in thankfulness for the salvation that he gave to us through Jesus Christ. And even when we sin as a Christian, 
it's a reflective of the depth of grace and love that God has for us. There's a question I want you to talk about around your table. Give you five minutes on it. Why does God's holiness receive little attention in contemporary Christianity? Why does it seem like God's holiness is diminished in today's world? That's another way to word the question. Why does God's holiness receive little attention in contemporary Christianity? Ready? Go. So, why does God's holiness receive little attention in contemporary Christianity? Ooh, Abigail Carson. Um, So, one thing that I had mentioned is that People are prideful and they don't want to admit that they have sin. And by recognizing God's holiness, we have to also recognize that we are sinful and can't meet his standards. And um, another thing is, is that I feel like a lot of contemporary um, churches desire popularity and attention and want as many people to come as possible. And the world doesn't want to hear about how bad we are. They don't want to hear that they have to change. And that God isn't pleased with their sin. They want to just be told that God loves them and has grace for them, which he does. But we also have to put in the work. Okay. Good. Thank you. Anybody else want to follow up on that? Yes, Andrew. We had some different perspectives. So okay. uh, one was that uh, we want to emphasize our relationship with God and that holiness kind of puts a God above us. and that. Uh, yeah, kind of reduces that relationship aspect, maybe from some people's perspective. Right. And others, another perspective was that we see God as so holy that we, we can't really comprehend it, was the kind of idea. And then we also talked a bit about um, how we can become complacent in God. It was we enjoy God's love and, um, and what He's done for us, we can become complacent. Right. And then we also talked about the prevalence of a therapeutic deism, the idea that God is there to fix my life, that kind of uh, different variations of the prosperity gospel mm-hmm. and how um, we, it can be in, in those ideas, it's tempting to emphasize, emphasize things like God's love because I want to be loved or uh, God's generosity because I, I want God to be generous to me, you know, the, your best life now. And that kind of worldview doesn't really have much utility for God's holiness. Like, right. because if you're just into a therapeutic deism, you're not really a believer. So what you, well, I don't need holiness. You know, I want love. I want God to tell me I'm great just the way I am. Or right. I want God to give me a brand new car. Um, so in that worldview holiness doesn't have any utility for me thank you i like that term therapeutic deism gonna steal that (laughs) all right then it's creative commons and it's all good i'm gonna yeah steal me not well don't steal i will borrow it and use it forever (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's communicable (laughs) good anybody else want to add on to that We are a vain society, are we not? Oh. I told Marika the other day, you should read Ecclesiastes. Get ready, though. Yeah. 
And remember, Ecclesiastes was written by the most wise man on the earth outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. He kind of knew what he was talking about. Anything else? Good thing we're saved by grace through faith alone, huh? And even faith is a gift so that we wouldn't boast because we like to boast, right? There's a theme coming out this morning that we, we like to talk about ourselves a lot, right? Not that you talk about yourselves, but we as human beings tend to do that. Okay, thank you. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. This is probably the, the ultimate section of scripture that outlines the very holiness of God. Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, it was one of the first sections of scripture that I heard taught from my very far away. He didn't know he was my mentor mentor. Uh, now he's in heaven. Um, I heard him teach on this and it just rocked me to the core. So I will not try to emulate that um, because I will let God's scripture do that. But it's, but it's, it's one of those probably central scriptures that talk about the holiness of God. Starting in verse one of chapter six, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings with two. He covered his face and with two, he covered his feet and with two, he flew and one called to another and said, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is a beautiful piece of scripture. There's a few things I want us to notice here. First of all, the wings of the seraphim. Notice that the seraphim have six. Two, they cover their face. They cover their face because even in their creatureliness, even though they were created for this very purpose to be in the presence of God continually, they still had to cover their faces because they were creatures. And with two, they covered their feet. And we think, well, that's kind of strange. Why would they cover their feet? They cover their feet because feet are a symbol of creatureliness. So they were not permitted to look upon the full glory of God because of his pure holiness. And they shielded their creatureliness by covering their feet with wings. It, it should ring some memories for us about when God met Moses, right? Take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. What made the ground holy? God's presence. Right? Because remember, soil can't be sinful. Soil is soil. That was the problem with Uzzah. He thought that the soil would, would do something bad to the ark. Well, it can't because soil is not moral. There's no morality in soil. And so these two, two wings are covering their feet, and with two they flew. Now, I'm going to expose to you why I think 
the holiness of God is if any attribute is just a little bit more than all the rest, because holiness is the only attribute of God that's mentioned three times in succession. Like you read here. And in fact, it's said like this only twice in all of scripture here and in revelation. So remember that in Hebrew language, when a word is repeated three times, it's elevating its importance, its significance, its impact. So in Hebrew language, especially in Hebrew poetry, if they wanted you to really understand something, they would often say it in double. They would say, great, great is the Lord. Whoa, okay, that, that, whoa, you got my attention. But these seraphim are singing to each other in the presence of God. Holy, 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 right? And if we turn to Revelation chapter 5, you'll see the very same thing, that this song is being sung by everybody in heaven. Not just the seraphim, but the angels, all of the angels, and all of the saints that are there too. Everybody is singing this song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then to, to magnify this scene even more, we're told that his train, meaning his cape, fills the room. Now, I'm not big on royalty, but I know that when royalty shows up and they have a, they have a train, it's supposed to signal to everybody how important they are. Their regality is, is on display. In a very simplistic and almost grotesque way, the Met Gala does the same thing. If you show up at the Met Gala with the worst-looking thing in the whole world, everyone applauds it, right? I hate that stupid thing. I hate it because it's just a display of the grotesqueness of sin. But when we see this, his train fills the entire room. It doesn't just mean that It's displaying God's regality. Think about this. It's also pushing out any other opposition to God's royalty and holiness. There's no room for anything else. And if that's not good enough, the foundations shake. And smoke fills the room. Kind of like what we saw in Leviticus chapter 10. And when Moses and Aaron were done and the presence of the Lord accepted the sacrifice, it was filled with smoke because it was a symbol of God's very presence. And Isaiah's response, woe to me, (laughs) right? Now, let's not lose the significance of what Isaiah is saying because a lot of us go, woe is me. A lot of us go, my life sucks. That's not what Isaiah is meaning here. In fact, I think some of the older translations, if somebody has a King James version, Margaret. um, (laughs) No, okay. What's your NASB say? Does it say woe to me? Woe is me. Okay, that doesn't work. Yeah, good. For I am ruined. What the, the meaning of that is, is Isaiah's looking at this scene and he doesn't have what I call a psychological pigeonhole to put this into so he can analyze it and understand it. He is completely overwhelmed by the presence of God. And his only response is, I'm actually, I'm literally coming undone. Emotionally, 
I don't, I can't, I can't take this. I can't see the holiness of God. Why? Because he knows his own sinfulness and he knows the sinfulness of those with whom he hangs out with. And he knows what the response is going to be to that sinfulness. He knows that God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so he pronounces a curse on himself. That's what that woe is me. That's a curse. I'm, I'm, I'm undone. I can't stand. And, and you compare that to what people's response is to angels in the Bible. They, they, just, they just pass out. And angels are only reflecting the glory of God. Like think of Gabriel when he shows up. And what does he say about himself? My name is Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And, and the response to him was, what? So this, this is, I hope this displays even a little bit, just the, the, the immensity, the weight of God's holiness. And how he is so much different than us. That makes sense. So there is a twofold holiness, a holiness of equality and a holiness of similitude. I had to look that word up. Thomas Watson uses words that I have to look up sometimes. He says, a holiness of equality, no man or angel can reach to, meaning none of us will reach the same level of holiness that God is at. For who can be equally holy with God? That's what we read in, in, uh, in, in the beginning uh, of today in Exodus 15. Who is like you? Oh Lord, among the gods. Uh, it's a rhetorical question. Answer, no one. Who can parallel him in sanctity? But there is a holiness of simil similitude and that we must aspire after to have some analogy and resemblance of God's holiness in us to be as like him in holiness as we can. This is why we call holiness a communicable attribute of God. Because even though we will never reach the same plane as God in his holiness, we can be like him in holiness in what we do. How we think, how we respond. And, brothers and sisters, we only are able to do that because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Unregenerate people cannot do this. Only regenerate people can. And you'll hear in the sermon today why it's so glorious to know that because it's such a rock to your foundation for the assurance of your faith, for the assurance of the grace that God has given you. I don't want to give away the sermon because I want you to come. <laughs> so similitude means resemblance or a visible likeness. It's for some of you who will say, well, what's the difference between similitude and similarity? I tried to figure this out before I came. To be honest with you, there's not a lot of difference, but there's just enough. And I wish I put it in here now that I'm looking at you. There's just enough to set this apart, meaning it's a visible likeness. It's not, it's not a facsimile. It's an intentionable likeness rather than just being created like something. So there's intention behind it. And that's important because God doesn't create us to be robots. He doesn't save us to just be blindly following him. There's an intention in our faith. That's why we, it's now when we're faced with sin in our life, 
Now, and this can be hard to hear, now you have a choice as to whether to obey or to disobey. And this is so important that you know, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has seized you except what's common to man. And God is faithful. He will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will always provide a way out so that you may stand up under it. You memorize that. You say that out loud every time a sin comes in into your room, into your face. You say, no, I have a choice now to be holy. I have a choice now to follow God. Despite the cost, despite the consequences, I'm preaching. This is what I want you to do. Oh, do I want you to do this? Write this down quickly. There's five tables here. So um, we'll call we'll call you table 1A. Uh, Beth, your table's one. Marika, your table two. Rebecca, your table three. Andrew, your table four. This is what I wanted you to do. How can we resemble God's holiness in our homes? It's Mother's Day today. I know. How can we resemble God's holiness in our small groups? How can we be the visible likeness of God's holiness in the church? And how can we be holy in this world? And I wanted you to come up with three action items, but again, we always run out of time because I end up preaching too hard. So in closing, if we must be like God in his holiness, wherein does our holiness consist? Thomas Watson says this in two things. In our suitableness to God's nature and in our subjection to his will. You see, when we become Christians, God changes our nature. We are moved from that camp of enemy to friend. We are moved from that camp of sinner to saint. We are saints of God. We are his children. So there's a change. We are sanctified, set apart. But there's a process of sanctification and holiness that we go through day by day, sometimes hour by hour. And for some of us, that's going to be really hard. For some of us, it may come later in our life. Some of us may be going through it right now. But the hope for you is found in Christ because it's in him alone that you have your salvation. It's him alone that you've placed your faith. The Holy Spirit resides inside of you. I'm giving away my sermon, so I'll stop. But it's in our subjection to his will. So you see, there's, there's an intention here, brothers and sisters, to be holy. You can be more holy than you are today. That doesn't mean you'll be holy like God. It doesn't mean you'll be God's. But you can reflect his holiness. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we have done some justice to your attribute of holiness this morning. Lord, I thank you that this is one of those communicable attributes of yours that you share with us. And like I've said already this morning, Father, I thank you that you demand holiness of us, but you haven't let us try and find that on our own. You haven't left us to our own devices that you've given us your very spirit. 
And sometimes through him, we call out, Abba, Father. And sometimes through his strength, we say no to sin. And sometimes in our guilt and our confession, we come before you and ask for your cleansing power. So, Father, I pray that today's session not only honored you, but that it will be something that we walk away with this morning, knowing that we can be more like you. And that brings you joy and pleasure. And ultimately, it tells the whole world 